All right, I'm Chris Avino with American Outdoor News. I'm here with Martha Tanzi. Martha, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Of course, super exciting. Now, you, you have a really uh, storied history. Uh, you were in the military for five years. Mm -hmm. What did you do in the military? Um, I made my way up to an NCO of a recovery team, uh, which means I went out and did a lot of recoveries, uh, whether people are struck or broke down. Um, I was a mechanic, that's what I specialized in. Um, so yeah, I had, had a lot of fun. So <laughs> that mechanic training really helped you later on in life. Yeah, just like, I mean, everything I do, like, revolves around being in the woods. And so like, being able to fix equipment out in the woods was really important to me. So even at like a childhood level, I was trying to figure out how to work on cars to be able to, you know, get us back home. That's kind of the goal. When you want to go home, you want to be able to get home and be able to, you know, well, not after the service, you did you work on a pit crew and you raced off road? Yeah, so I actually got into that because I, you know, I was breaking my trucks all the time going off road, and uh, there was a shop local where I lived in Alaska, and uh, they were able to help me, you know, fix my trucks and taught me a lot about um, like field recovery, but then also just how to prevent issues in the first place. Um, but then in exchange. They uh, had me working on the race cars, and so <laughs> um, that's how I kind of got into to building race cars. Uh, um, they, there's a NASCAR sanctioned track there in Alaska, and they were doing really well with the cars that they were putting out of their shop. Um, so yeah, I got to learn a lot about high performance, um, setting up cars, and then of course when track day came, it threw me in all sorts of really fun race cars. <laughs> that's right. So your military training, obviously. Uh, uh, that helped you with your military training. Exactly. I was trying to figure out like where I was going to go in life um, when I was in high school, and you know I was already working on cars, already building trucks, um, already racing, and it just seemed like a good fit to go and be a mechanic in the military um, because I do have a passion to be in the woods and I love helping people. Um, I love being a part of a team um, and accomplishing really big, hard missions. So I'm like, oh yeah, the military sounds like a great place for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, you became the best you could be. <laughs> I did, I did. So I had a lot of fun um, going through training um, and then just I mean, being in the military was actually a blessing, I feel like. I, I love the service that I did to them. So. Is that where you learned how to become a sharpshooter? I did. I mean, growing up in Alaska, you know, there's shooting everywhere. You know, we get shooting ranges, you know, in our yard. So shooting is very yeah. common. Um, but I learned uh, very specific ways to advance in shooting in the military. Um, I love kind of sort of being the best I can be. Yeah. And um, so the military uh, gave me training on to do exactly that in regards to, to marksmanship. So everything you've learned in life really brought you to where you are today. I mean, you grew up in Alaska, mm -hmm. which I'm sure was not easy growing up in Alaska, but you still maintain that lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Like, my passion to be in the woods is so strong. Um, and my daughter and I both share that. And we also love helping people. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of took both of those and applied them to our life. Um, we love building big trucks and going out and doing really cool things. But at the end of the day, we're doing all that so that we, we can spend time in the woods and help. Um, right now, the biggest thing that we're doing um, is, of course, hunting big game in Alaska and then bringing that meat back and then giving it away to people in need. Um, it, it takes up pretty much all of our life. <laughs> it's, the, it's kind of you know centered around that ministry. 
Um, but another thing that uh, is a sidekick of that is um, helping people in the woods. I mean, we come across people all the time that are broke, that are stuck, that are lost, um, that have you know equipment that tried to get through a river and it got washed out. Now they have no equipment. They're stranded. Um, we come across people like all the time, and we just have a big heart for them and want to share God's love through us to them in that way. Uh -huh. um, so you know, we love hunting. We love you know to get the meat and give that away. Um, but at the end of the day, like helping people is important. So we will stop our hunt anytime to go and help you know brother or sister in need that we see. Um, well, when you're going through the woods, does your halo ever get in the way? Because you're like the guardian angel for people. It's funny you say that. Like, I love working as a team. So even if I'm meeting strangers, I still just love interacting with them and working together um, to help them with whatever resources and knowledge we have. Um, and sometimes it goes the other way around. And I get myself in pickles, too. Yeah. Um, so I love, like, just being able to work with people and... Um, and meet new people. It's so much fun. Like I meet the, the, the best people sometimes out in the middle of nowhere where there's a need, so we take care of the need, but in the process I have a lifelong friend that comes yeah. from it. So. so what's the population where you live? Um, it's I, obviously not very you know, populated. No, um, where I live is kind of um, outside of a town. Um, I live in the Hatcher's Pass area, um, but I can get to town fairly easy if I need something. Hours um, drive? Huh? An hours drive? Yeah, yeah, but we have Anchorage. It's a little ways away. Um, we can get things from there. Um, but when we're out in the woods, which where we spend most of our time, um, it could be days before we could get to a village or a town wow. to get any type of resources. So the uh, hunting for a lifestyle is part of uh, your sustainability, which you're doing for you and your family, mm -hmm. but you're also doing for the town. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about that, how that came about and how they chose you to be the provider of the village. So, like when I first started hunting, um, it's a challenge to get one animal down. You know, as you know, like, yep. it's hard. Um, so I got my first animal down and traditionally what we do is we give that first animal away. And so I did that and I felt really good about doing it, even though you know, it was hard, it was hard work to get that first one. Um, but I felt good, so I gave that away. And then um, I got my next animal and I was like, well I really enjoyed giving that one away. So I gave about 80% of that one away too. Made sure we, you know, my daughter and I have food to eat. Obviously. Yeah, you know. Um, but we have, you know, a lot to share. And so the next year I got three animals, you know, and so I gave that meat away. Next year I was able to get four animals and so I started giving that meat away. So it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and to the point where like one year we got thirteen animals. Wow. You know, with Moose and Caribou. Um, and it was just it was amazing how like our dependence on God was shining through in that situation because people thought I was crazy. They're like, Martha, kind of a small person. We worry about your safety. You're going out in the middle of the woods. And at the time, my daughter Ellie was really small. Um, you know, she was about four years old. And so I was like, man, you're going out in the woods. It's scary. What if you break down? What if you don't get any meat? You have these people depending on you now because it's been many years. People are starting used to getting us, you know, yeah. getting meat from us. 
and they're like, well, what happens if you don't get anything? And so I had a lot of negativity, the, the what ifs, and I had them going in my mind too. Mm-hmm. And I remember just like sitting in church and they're talking about like, you know, what it looks like to rely on God. And at that time I was fairly new Christian and I was like, oh, I don't really understand how that looks. You know, yeah. like, yeah, I pray, you know, and I ask God for guidance and stuff, but I didn't understand it. But once I got into being a Disney hunter and having these people rely on me, I was like, oh my gosh, now like, I kind of need God to be with me, like, <laughs> big time. This is really hard and I don't know how I'm gonna accomplish this. And so turning it over to God is like a, a big deal with hunting. Like, I just like, okay, God, like, I'm gonna go out and work really, really hard. Like, nothing's ever been given to me, yeah. like, ever. <laughs> so I work really, really hard. Um, but I have God right there with me, and, like, I felt that peace going into the woods, knowing, okay, I'm just gonna wake up in the dark, uh-huh. work real hard, be as nice as I can to people I come across, other hunters especially, which sometimes doesn't happen in the woods. Sometimes no. hunters aren't very nice to other hunters, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to go down that route. I want to be kind and mm-hmm. build these friendships with other people that are doing the same thing as me. Hunters are our own worst enemy. Yes. So I was, <laughs> I was trying to like, you know, God, please help me build those relationships. Please keep my heart open to how I can help them, mm-hmm. um, and to get any guidance I receive to make sure that you know my heart's open to that. Um, so having that there, and then just being okay with any outcome. I'm going to work hard, and I'm okay if I get. One animal, zero animals, ten animals. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. So you would basically pack Ellie up in a little <laughs> backpack, strap her on, and off you would go. Exactly. And, I have, you know, car seats and uh, yeah, a little baby. I have her all padded when we go off-road when she was really little. And <laughs> we would get to locations. And, um, yeah, I would put her on my back. And um, I actually have, like, really bad knees now. <laughs> no wonder. Carrying an extra child and packs and everything else. And then me out, too. And, and um, you're homeschooling her, too. Exactly. So you're teaching her about education. And she's getting a second education out in the wild. Oh, yeah. She is an amazing outdoors woman. Um, now, I heard that she shot her first caribou at six years old. So her birthday is right on the edge. It happens during hunting season. And so it, she goes into a hunting season at a certain age and she exits. And that was a little while ago. But I do remember being around six or seven. Wow. When she, yeah. When she, and she was just so tiny. And the, the terminology that I used with her is totally different than what I'd use in an adult. You know, like how I described the crosshairs and that sort of thing. Yeah. It just was such a cute experience. She was supposed to wait until the caribou got closer, like 100 yards. And all of a sudden, it's like it was like 300 yards, and she shot at it. I'm like, whoa! And then it went down. I was like, oh my gosh, she was supposed to wait to make it easy. Like, oh my gosh, she just shot it, and it went down. She's like, I'm sorry, I didn't wait. I'm like, no, you're great. Perfect. Way better than I could have ever imagined. Sometimes the less you know, the better off you are. Yeah. <laughs> now, moving forward, now you're working with this ministry to feed your village. How do you get all these tags? What do people just come in and say, Martha, here's my tag. Here's another tag. <laughs> it's a really cool person. Do they put in orders? I want some moose. Can so, I get some caribou? <laughs> I do. I do actually have, I have orders and I have everything, you know, organized. Some elders are very specific. They love the ribs. Who don't love and they, ribs? And they're like, you call me when you're coming back into cell service. I will meet you at your house and I'm going to get those ribs. You know, and I put them aside. And some like love the heart. 
you know, and they call yeah. that. So I do have special orders and I try to do my best to help them get what they really, really like. Because um, I think that is important, you know. So let's say on an average, an average year, how many animals do you dispatch for this village? So we try to do about half a dozen to a dozen. That's what we shoot for. Um, some years a little less, some years more. Um, but that's manageable for us. Um, just getting one animal down and out, it's, it's a lot of work. Well, it's not like you're hunting in uh, a rural area like upstate New York or mm. some parts of Indiana. Um, it's you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I was doing some math, and the area that we hunt in is the size of Kansas. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, if you can imagine Kansas and there's like nothing there, yep. <laughs> um, that's what we're dealing with. So just to get to a road system is challenging. Um, and then on a road system, you still have to take a day to get to where we are and where the people are, where the meat can go. Yep. A lot of times, um, we'll set up a base camp in the woods, um, and then we'll operate out of that. And then once we get the animal down, we um, have freezers with us and okay. solar. That's how we operate our freezers. Um, we brought some in like on a deuce and a half that I have. And that's what we did this last year and it worked great. Um, so we butcher them and then we package them and freeze them. And then we take those to the trailhead and then a volunteer will pick up that meat at the trailhead and take, take it, it back. back and either distribute it if there's an immediate need or they'll uh -huh. put it in the freezers and then we just keep doing that all year. So we'll head back to, into our base camp uh -huh. and just keep hunting and then once we get enough we'll do another shipment. What about predators? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, bears are everywhere. Yeah, um, and they're not small bears. No, no, they're very aggressive bears. Um, they, they want a free meal. Um, and we have a lot of free meals sitting in camp. Um, so that's another reason why I like to process, get them in freezers and get them out. Uh -huh. you know, of course, we don't have any you know, heat issues or bugs or souring. Um, but then we also don't have like a bait station going on in camp where uh -huh. <laughs> the beach, you know, if we have six animals, six moose hanging in camp, that's, that's a lot of smelling. <laughs> so what, what do you do when a, you know, a brown bear or a grizzly come in? Um, there's really not much you can do except shoot them. Yeah, and, and at least she loves bear meat, and so she. Bear meat's good. She yeah, <laughs> it is really good, and so she has no problem like you know hunting for meat when it comes to bears. Um, so, and I don't particularly like them if they're in our area threatening us, mm -hmm. um, especially if because you know we hear what's going on in our valleys, um, and sometimes I'll talk to hunters and they'll be a problem bear. Yeah. Um, they're not scared of people, they'll just come straight into camp, destroy, um, they, they're not afraid of anything. Um, so usually, you know, we'll take care of those animals and then we just bring the meat back out, just like we would do with Mr. Caribou. What do you do with the skins? So I, when I first started hunting, like my first animal, it was really special and I wanted to keep that hide. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to work with elders on how to tan it the traditional ways. Uh, I knew little bits and pieces, but I didn't know like the start to finish because it's not really done anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing all this research, um, and I wanted to find out every little piece. And there, it's just not, it wasn't out there at the time where I couldn't find it. So I started experimenting, and getting a lot of animals helps with the experimental process. It does. <laughs> Trial and error is the yeah. best way to learn. Yeah, <laughs> um, and most 
hunters don't bring the hides out with them anyways. So I was not only getting the hides that we were harvesting, but also, you know, random hides all over. Um, especially in a caribou herd, you know, if there's a herd, it, multiple animals get dropped, they're nice and easy all in one spot, and the brains are right there usually too. Um, it's not required to bring the antlers out on a caribou. Like mm -hmm. um, like moose, you have to prove that it's a certain size, make yeah. sure it's legal. Um, caribou's not the same way, and a lot of times they're smaller. So a hunter on a four-wheeler is not going to take the weight and space of a of an antler set if they don't aren't going to use it. Sure. So they're they're around in one area wherever the herd was. So it's easy to kind of take an axe, pop them, open them up, and take the brains out, and then take the hide out. Um, and then once we get home, um, then we start tanning them. So we do traditional brain tanning, um, where we. What do you mean brain tanning? Um. So. We get the hide, mm -hmm. and um, there's multiple ways to do it. There's a dry method where you scrape them. Yeah. When they're dry, like a raw hide, and you just scrape off the flesh and you sh uh, scrape off the hair and the epidermis, which is like the tough outer layer. Um, and then you can take brains, put the brains on that raw hide, and soften oh, okay. it to become like. It's kind of like salting it and and using chemicals. Yes. Kind of like salting and chemicals, but we don't we don't have any chemicals. We just have the brains, and that's it. Um, so that's the dry method. The wet method is um, you lay it, uh, the hide over a beam, and it's wet. And you have a metal bar scraper, and you most people can kind of visualize that when they think of like old trappers. Yep. We just scrape off the flesh side and scrape off the grain side. Um, so from there, then we just take the brains. I put it in a blender and just some boiling water <laughs> and uh, it makes this really thick liquid and I put it on the hide and um, after it gets really absorbed I kind of wring it out once it, that, uh, the oils from the brains get into the hide it's really flexible okay. and so then we soften it which means we're just moving it while it's drying Yep. Um, and then once it's dry you have a beautiful soft material that you can use for clothing, it's breathable, um, you can use it for footwear. Um. And you make all this? Oh yeah, yeah, we make our own mittens and boots and hats. And How everything. is a beautiful woman like you still saying that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I spend a lot of time in the woods out by myself doing our own thing. Maybe it's because I'm not in town at the bars hopping around or something, I'm not sure. That's funny. Um, but we also do bark tanning, which is really fun. So like the leather here on your um, notepad, uh, it's it's more of a uh, like a wallet or a belt. It's uh, more heavy duty. So like the soles of a moccasin, if you wanted to use them long term, you would use that kind of tanning process where you use bark tanning, uh -huh. which is literally bark, like from, from plant materials. You have you know, leaves and bark. Wow. Um, you get the tannins out of them. And then you can time it that way, and that's a process for hair on too, which is really fun. Unbelievable! And you're still doing off-road racing, or no? Well, you know, with COVID, everything got rocky in the yeah. world. So uh, I was up until that point, and then all races stopped. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, wow, we're just gonna be able to be in the woods all the time because <laughs> I was kind of splitting up my life between woods and traveling the world racing. Um, yeah, so it kind of went and died really i mean nothing was going on during covid um and uh, every opportunity i see i try to see as a blessing mm -hmm. like, wow ellie you know we get to just be in the woods all the time like the whole year <laughs> like we really don't have to come back and 
you know, it was really scary um, with COVID. Uh, we both are, have uh, immune issues, and so, you know, we don't really want to be around large groups of people. So when COVID was going on, really best place was in the woods for us. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fresh air. Yeah. No people around. Yeah. Animals can't carry it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and there's no cell service, no, there's no internet, there's no nothing. So really, we kind of forgot that COVID was going on for most of the time. We come back in the first, like, gas station or village we come to, we see masks and we're like, what's going on? Oh, that's right. There's this COVID thing going on. So did you gain weight in that period? Because, you know, you're out in the woods and you're getting all this great meat and you're at home cooking. I, I would be like 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> um, luckily, there's a lot of physical labor involved. And like we did a lot more tanning than we normally do. And tanning is all physical labor. So actually, it was the opposite. I felt really good. <laughs> like I was nice and thin, and uh, we were able to grow more vegetables in our garden because mm -hmm. we had more time, and sure. we got to have more chickens, and so just more more home life, um, farm life, that sort of thing. Um, and then more being in the woods, and we're building. So we were able to build a truck for Ellie during that time too. Wow. Uh, we had amazing support from um, the automotive industry and from the outdoor industry. Um, to build her something that's fabulous. Like her truck is way better than mine. Like it's really <laughs> nice. Um, like after driving hers, I was like, man, I might have to build me one like this. <laughs> Why don't really we just nice. swap colors? <laughs> I know. Uh, for her first rig, she's she's very, very uh, blessed to have that big. But we couldn't have done it again without um, the companies loving what we're doing and seeing the big picture. Yes, we like a truck and yes, we want to go off-roading, it's fun, mm -hmm. but if there's a bigger purpose than that, is we really want to help people and companies stepped up and said, So what kind of, who, you, who do you have as sponsors that help you do what you do? Man, I have so many, they are, just when I think about it, I start crying, so I'm gonna try not to cry right now. Um, but, <laughs> But they just, they have a passion for what we're doing and they want to step up and be right next to us. And, you know, we try to help them the best we can. Like, we didn't ask for all this publicity, right? Mm -hmm. But we can use it to help them. Sure. You know, get the word out about how amazing their products are and use them and actually let people know, like, hey, we're real people using this stuff. We're not actresses. You yep. know, we're, we're real. And I can tell you different times where I use the products where it benefited us and it can benefit you and it can save lives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with Ellie's truck build, um, Keystone Automotive is this great big group um, and they own many different companies underneath them. They have Trail Effects and Warren, Factor 55, FabTech, FabForge, um, this huge great family um, in the industry and they said, yeah, we love what you're doing and we want to support you in any way. And during the pandemic it was hard. Yeah. Because we're in Alaska, we had all those shipping problems. We have parts on the shelf problems. So we were like, oh, well, we're gonna build this. And then like, oh, well, we don't have that part. We're gonna have to do this. And so I was getting parts all the time, overnighted. And I was so just blessed to have that. Um, but we're getting them and then having to modify them to make them work for what we have because what we needed wasn't available at the time and so it was constant change and constant adapting and overcoming and the companies were right there like oh maybe we could make this work how about we send you this and um they were very very supportive so but without your background oh yeah you wouldn't be able to yeah, figure it out and put it together <laughs> and I, I guess when you have to and you don't have any other choice you, you figure it out yeah, it was so. It is nice being able to be a welder and a fabricator, um, and be able to modify things like 
seemed like nothing on that project really was like off the shelf easy. Yeah. Um, because of the time constraint, um, we had to build it very quickly. Everything had to be shipped within a week or two um, with whatever they could have on the shelf. Um, I didn't have a lot of time. Oh, we got a year, so you know, whatever, whenever something comes available. A year goes by real quick. I know, right? <laughs> um, it would be nice to have that opportunity, but it wasn't. It was people come together, we just could, you know, did what we could with what we had available. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I would not have been able to do that without, you know, all my training and welding and fabrication and building trucks and race cars. And because yep. racing is the same way, you're out in the woods and you have. A race car breakdown or you need to build a part you know you just have to use what you have to make it work and so and the military same way you know we're out in the woods so they all kind of overlap and I'm able to use training from each of them to you know go further in the other ones so yeah. you, you travel with just like a Leatherman and you're like, you're like MacGyver and okay I got the <laughs> I do, I do. Anybody that sees I can me. squeeze the bark from this tree. <laughs> I do some crazy outside of the box thinking, and some people are like, what? That's never going to work. I'm like, just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. It might work. That's great. All right. Well, I definitely appreciate your time. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? So I think it's super original with um, social media. Just my name on Instagram, Martha Tansy. Uh, Facebook is Martha Tansy Offered Racing and Hunting. And we kind of got a new label to our ministry. It's called Spirit Led Adventures. So that's going to be um, what we're transitioning into. Um, that will be our new kind of label to describe us and what we're doing within our ministry. And of course, on Mountain Men, um, last year was season 11 yeah. and so we were on nine episodes there um, year before that uh, we were in six episodes so uh, season 10 11 you know it was a really fun way to visually see all the stuff I've talked about in real life wow. um, so that's been a really uh, neat opportunity because I go around the world telling people what I do and they're like yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's been fun to be like, no, really, like you can pull it up on your phone right now and watch exactly how I cut a moose up or exactly how I build trucks because we built the, you know, Ellie's truck. Yeah. So um, it's been really fun to have that opportunity to share that with people. That's amazing. That's amazing. I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. Oh, thank you. It was fun. All right. We love our children, we protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.